Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory, founder of TeamsRock.com. Join us as Greg interviews thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from professional sports to manufacturing to business and industry. Now, let's join Greg for another powerful episode of the Teamwork Advantage. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage. Hi, I'm Greg Gregory, founder and creator of the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast that's dedicated to the growth and development in three key areas, teamwork, leadership, and culture. And when we talk about teamwork, leadership, and culture, it works in every aspect of your life because we have to lead parts of our lives. We have to be a team in most of our lives and the culture we live in all of our lives. Joining us today is Dr. Holzapple. Get your name pronounced correct here, sir. Dr. Eric Holzapple. He's an award-winning entrepreneur and CEO in the real estate industry. We have some background there. Uh, I was on the residential side. He's also the founder of Living in the Gap. And that's been interesting, the research I've been doing behind on that. It's an organization that guides heart-centered executives and professionals to embrace mindfulness in their careers and their personal lives to bring a greater positive influence into today's world. And boy, don't we need that. His new book is called Profit with Presence. You can see it over his shoulder if you're watching the video, and it's coming out in early March of 2023, so be ready for that. It's also available for pre-order right now. Dr. Eric, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Good morning, Greg, or good afternoon for you. Good morning for me, but thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you on board here. Um, I'm always intrigued with different aspects of health and how it can apply to um you know, the teamwork and the leadership and to say that leadership and leading is different today than it was even pre-pandemic five years ago, 50, it's drastically different as we change through time. I can remember my father used to say, I don't need to motivate anybody. They're supposed to be here and do their damn job. You know, that's not exactly the case today. So we're going to talk to you about, we want to understand some of those ideas about mindfulness. You've got your 12 pillars of leadership, which I think is powerful. But before we get into all of the nitty gritty, did you grow up one day and say, I want to be a doctor, have my PhD? And <laughs> or what, what's your, what, give us a little bit of your backstory to where you are. Listeners always want to know where you're coming from, not just where you are now. I woke up one day when I was about 30 and said that. Okay, <laughs> but it wasn't when I was a little kid. No, I came from a little rural Maine, and uh, sounds like our dads weren't too dissimilar. I grew up working, you know, we worked at a campground, cleaning toilets, working campsites, and I learned to love to work at an early age. I went through to college and got my MBA. And the one thing that was more than school for me is every time I worked, I rose to the top. You know, I just was good at work. So I got out my MBA and went into real estate. And within a couple of years, I was the manager of uh, an Australian firms or North American operations. They, I, I came out of uh, Colorado State in Colorado. Then they moved me to Los Angeles. And before I knew it, I was CEO, president of the North American operation, traveling 50 weeks a year, you know, had all the trappings of success, the title, Mercedes, the, you know, partner on the waterfront, all the stuff. But I was miserable. You know, I, inside, I was overweight, I drank too much, I was single, you know, I just, I wasn't happy. And uh, 
So I got transferred to Boston and the good news was in Boston, there were not problems in town. I didn't have to travel. So I got to sit still for a little bit, bought a scale and look, got on it and said, geez, you know, I was an athlete. I need to, what am I doing? I was way overweight and I just had an epiphany moment, looked in the mirror and said, you better make some changes or you're not going to be around very long. That's when I decided to go back. I said, I'm going back to school. I'm going to go teach. I'm going to find my purpose. I'm going to, you know, met my wife. I uh, lost a bunch of weight. I started running again, which I was a track guy growing up, got that kind of stuff. And the big thing that happened for me is I found yoga, just started yoga. And that was my first entry into mindfulness. And it was like I had been uh, disin disconnected from my body, you know, and I got reconnected with my body and it helped with my diet. It helped with everything, helped with my stress. Then a year or so later, I watched my older brother started meditating, and he was a poet, and my dad was a football coach, and they were estranged. It was like oil and water, you know? My dad wanted to play football. He didn't want to play, and he played anyway. And anyway, for about 10 years, they were pretty strange, but then I watched my brother come back towards my dad a little bit at a time, and when he got opened up to my dad, my dad opened up, and I got my whole family back. You know, it was my brother said, do you want to try it? And I said, heck, yeah, I, that was amazing. The first time I saw how one person changed, my dad didn't change, you know, <laughs> he didn't. He was set in his 70s and he wasn't going to change. But I noticed how my brother changing changed everything, mm -hmm. his perception, his acceptance and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I started. It was a game changer for me. I liked it. For years, I was a closet meditator. And I did my yoga and I didn't talk about it or anything. But then later on at work, I started, you know, being better around people. And uh, I was always a great negotiator and hard driver and finance. But and I was OK with relationships, but I got better and I got to be someone that slowed down enough to talk to people. And people one at a time would ask me things and they what's what changes with you? And then it got introduced to work through that way. Or I knew we started a seed group with one other guy and I, before I knew it, the room was full, reading books and talking about mindfulness and doing centering. And God, now uh, at our company, I just amazed. I was just in a, in a Zoom meeting yesterday and one of the guys who you would never picture doing it, leading, uh, leading us in a meditation before we started our meeting. It just so it's so great. You know, just for five minutes. Yeah. And it, that, that's a misconception. People think that you've got to sit there and meditate no. like a monk for an hour or something. But you really don't need to do that. When we start people, I start them with two minutes because I found that even going 10 or 20 minutes when you first start, before your mind calms down a little bit, can be counterproductive. I can't tell you how many people say, I can't, I can't meditate. It's too crazy up there. You know, it does calm down after a while. <laughs> I say start with two minutes. And then after a month or so, you know, you want to go more. After it calms down a little bit, you want to go more. And that's also the other reason that we do yoga is to get it to calm down. When we place our attention in our body, calms the mind down. That's and the major it, reason and for it yoga. It forces the attention in the body to very specific areas as you do it. Exactly. I and that also enough. takes takes it away from your brain, takes it yeah. away from the thought. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to find yoga last summer. Awesome. And I started doing it uh, two or three times a week. Uh, sunrise yoga. Because we were outside on the docks in Annapolis, and then yeah. when it got cold, I haven't done it since November now or October. Yeah. So I'm I find I tell weather. you what. Well, 
do five or 10 minutes standing yoga. Just mm -hmm. do a little stretch and get in your body. And then when you can get to a class a little bit longer, but even five, 10, 15 minutes a day can make a huge difference over time. We call it the slight edge or slow boils, little tiny things over a long period of time, rather than these big dramatic shocks are more sustainable. Well, that's, that's exactly right. When we talk about leading and teams and pulling people together, you know, even just make micro changes oh. because over the long haul, those micro changes will have a powerful impact. So, and they're sustainable. If they can become habits, we want them to do over the long haul, have them become habits because we become our habits. That's who we are is our right. habits. So we want to start being aware of what habits we are, kind of replace some of the ones we don't like with habits that are supportive of what's, what's my vision? What's my long-term goal? And what habits do I need to have to hit that? Because we're such habitual creatures. You know, the, the stats say something like 95% of what we're doing is just one thing after another habitually. You know, it's the next habitual grab. Mm -hmm. So if they're good habits, that can take me to where I want to go with very little habit, very little effort. You know, habits are there to reduce the effort right. for right. an action. So, but without attention and intention, those habits could not all be positive. Like the story I was telling, I had some really bad habits, you know? Mm -hmm. I think we've so. all had some bad habits that, and it's sometimes harder to break bad habits than to create new good habits. Yeah, but yeah. They can it be is. Done. Yeah, environment's a big thing. And then the new habits can help you break the old. But yeah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it takes that epiphany moment like the one I that I had for people before they're ready to to break a bad habit, you know? Right. But, but it and can that, be that's really kind of where I want to go, because when we think about leading and teamwork and culture in the business environment, the way we lead today is different and we have to be mindful in how we lead on so many different levels. It's no longer just get the job done. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about becoming, allowing yourself to be a little vulnerable. It's about communicating better. It's about being self-centered in your own mind and body. So let's, let's talk a little bit. You've got your 12 pillars of leadership I wanna to get to, but you've also got something in your book, I believe you call it the, uh, the precision effect. Precession effect. Precession yeah. effect, not yeah, precision, we'll okay, precession. Okay. And I did that for years before I learned what the, what it was called. So explain to us a little bit about what yeah. the, the precession effect is. Well, it comes from physics originally. I mean, back in the Greek times, and then there was a guy named Buckmeister Fuller, who was an architect in the 1930s that kind of coined it for the business operation. But it's how the world moves at 90 degree angles. Like when a honeybee goes and, and gets honey from a plant, it indirectly, 90 degrees, pollinates all the other flowers. That's not what the bee's original intention is, you know, or when the sun's pulling the earth towards it. The earth doesn't crash into the sun. It goes at 90 degrees and circles the, the sun. There's a lot of examples like that. And I, I, I found uh, a lot of those examples, like in meditation that we talked about, following my breath calms the mind. It's 90 degrees angle or putting my attention in our body, like we talked before with yoga, calms the mind. If I focus directly on the mind, it's very difficult to calm it down. In business, I found one of the most powerful procession effects is, is public service, community service work. I'm out with other leaders working on a, a, an impactful project, building, building a habitat home or stuffing food bank boxes or 
whatever that is. And I worked at the university 20 years, helping them with those with different things. We get to meet people at a whole nother level when we're not, rather than being in a transaction, we're, we're actually serving together to do something. We're, we're working parallel to do something. And when that leader needs something, they ask me. For instance, you know, I was at an economic development board meeting, which was a nonprofit, and I was volunteering, very much involved with. Guy came up and said, Ralph came up to me and said, you know what? And I'm a real estate developer. He said, you know what, Eric, I love what you do with the university and the community. In North Fort Collins, they need a developer. Would you go talk to the North Fort Collins Business Association? And I said, sure. I went and had lunch with the, with the president. Five years later, I'm developing a, a major shopping center in North Fort Collins. And it happened because I was out in the community doing good things. That's my karma. I'm setting my karma. I'm out there. But the side effect, it isn't why I was there, but the side effect is business happens. Right. And I, I've got all kinds of those stories and it's so much better for me than cold calling. You oh, know, absolutely. Be out, be out in the community and doing, they're doing good things and and just being aware of what might happen, not like I'm there for it. I've got, you know, the breath of trying to, you know, steer a deal my way. That doesn't work. But it's I'm just there doing the right thing. And when something comes up, I'm just aware of it and open to it. Exactly. It's there's several different ways to look at things that nature and just getting yourself and being open to have those seeing those doors, because sometimes we're so busy yeah. that we don't see the doors when they open. Well, and, and I have found too, Greg, they're not just so busy, but we're so locked into what we wanted, what we thought was going to happen. And we're so disappointed we didn't get it. We miss what really is there. Because, <laughs> you know, I've learned over 65 years that I don't really know what's going to happen. My brain is wired to think I know, but I don't really know whether that, you know, 9-11 or the, the tsunami or COVID or whatever, or, or the lottery. I don't really know what's coming. So if I can be more open to, you know, that I don't know, I mean, I have intentions of what I want to create, but if I don't really know, then I'm going to be more aware of all the opportunities that come. Because mm -hmm. we have attentional blindness, you know, inattentional blindness. We see what we're looking for. We don't see everything else. So if we, if we recognize that we start noticing a bigger field, mm -hmm. then there's opportunities. For the trees example opportunities come up for me. I can tell so countless times in business. That's why failures are so important. Yeah, I failed at that. That didn't happen. But boo, what did happen? Oh, that happened. I could take it over there. I learned something I can take over there. Or I met somebody that had this possibility. Yeah. If I'm open to it, I found that's the key to business. Yeah. Now, I was watching a couple of your videos and one of them was rather interesting. And you said something very early on in the podcast that you said, you had all the success, but you weren't happy. So you had you had the Mercedes, you had the houses, you had all the stuff, you had all the stuff, but you were miserable. Now you are happy. You still have the stuff. Because you know, for, yeah. I think that says you you can't have the stuff yeah. and be happy. I was stuck there for years because I'm a big reader. You see my background, <laughs> my mm -hmm. bookcase. And a lot of this work is in, in ancient Eastern texts, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, those kind of things. And I was stuck for a long time with that, just saying, boy, what I'm reading says I need to renounce my possessions, you know, and, you know, and if you read stories, a lot of renunciants, they renounce all their possessions, they beg for food. They, and I was stuck because 
I wasn't willing to do that. But I found that I'm not a renunciate. I'm a householder with responsibilities. And that is different for me. I don't have to do that. Particularly if I'm willing to serve and give back, which is how I think capitalism works for everybody. If people serve and give what they can, then capitalism can work and be, I think it's the greatest system in the world, you know, creating and generating whatnot, but it, it can't just work for a few. It's got to work for everybody. And the only way I found that it works for everybody is if when I can give, I do give, yes. you know, lend a hand and, and do those kind of things. So I found, and what I say is my affluence increases my influence. I can make a bigger difference. I couldn't have wrote this book or started my nonprofit or gone to CSU and taught for 20 years or a lot of those things if I hadn't had some affluence. So I don't think affluence is the enemy at all. I think mindlessness is the enemy. Is the enemy. If I can be mindful, then I'm going to be more compassionate, more generous, and more giving. And I take care of myself first. I, I mean, I do. It's, but I also have room for others. So let's talk I have a found bit. that comes back over and over again to me. Oh, sorry, Greg. I'm sorry. So let's let's find out here. I mean, we're we're into this a few minutes. So you said start off your mindfulness and your breathing and all that, and it's got to be done on a repetitive basis. James Clear, and of course, the Atomic Habits book yeah, is just powerful. It's a great one. So when you stop to think about creating the habit, is there a time of day that is good? Should you do it the first thing in the morning, last thing at night, multiple times during the day? Should you take a break from uh, meetings and just take three minutes to do some breathing? What, what, what works? And I know you're going to say it works differently for everybody. You're right. But so what is something I could do today yeah. that would start me down that path? Because they always say the greatest journey starts with the first step. Yeah, I um, would say... First of all, a lot of people meditation is a stumbling block and that you don't have to meditate. I mean, I find it in a busy professional world, it's very helpful. It certainly has been great for me. And I, and I, and I think it's a, a great inroad. But if someone's got a block with that, I start with simple. I'd say number one is, is to be grateful. Gratitudes. It's simple. You know, if it's an immediate mindset shift. I practice three gratitudes a day and why, what I'm grateful for and why am I grateful for them? And that has an after image effect that leads me out to start being grateful. And the intention of being mindful in what I do. So a mindful walk at lunch, you know, can be great. Generally answer, giving you a full answer to your question. You know, if you, if you can, uh, bring yourself to meditate, start with a few minutes a day. I wouldn't worry when I started what time of day I'd fit it in when it could. Eventually, once that becomes it, I think the morning, if you're a busy professional, can be the best time when you control, you have a little control of your day by just by setting your alarm clock. And it puts you in that mindset. So when I walk out the door, I don't know what pitch I'm going to get that day. I don't know if, what a curveball, if there's going to be a spitball. You know, I don't know what life's going to throw at me. But I do know my mindset is going to be the biggest factor that determines if I can hit or, or, or I strike out, you know, what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I try to have a mindset when I walk out and that car pulls out in front of me. It's, you know, it's not the finger. It's whatever it is. Or when I walk, get that call from one of my kids, it's not, geez, it's, it's, you know, oh, how can I help you? 
you know, uh, the mindset is just so important. So I think the morning is, is, uh, the best time if you can, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't use that as an excuse not to do it at all. I know people that have an evening practice have had one for 20, 30 years and it's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. If that's when you can do it, do it. If it's lunch, do it. Is you know, it sometimes better to help people get started by doing like a group meditation? If it's, yeah, some, I mean, some people are resistant to that. I mean, that, uh, and also, I find it's like we run a group, a mindful leadership group. We're in about our seventh, sixth, seventh month of it. it runs a nine month program. Um, I find that it, the group is really helpful, keeping people online and getting people to do a little longer meditation and those kind of things. But to wait and be dependent on a group, you know, I think a group in addition to your private practice can be really helpful. Okay. Um, it, and again, it depends on the person. Some people just don't want to do that. Uh, but if a group things helps you, I think what's really helpful is if, uh, you know, to do start a practice and then find a, find a program or a weekend retreat or something to start doing okay. that's longer, but you can't do it every day. Right. So okay. you do what you can do. And then when you have more time, do more. Mm -hmm. You said something earlier, I thought was fascinating when you were talking about yoga and Doing the yoga gets the body thinking, but then it also changes the mind and the brain to a whole different direction to allow that brain to kind of clear out the clutter and de defrag itself, if you will. Um, how important is that? I think, I don't know that it's yoga has to be that important. No, Some but yoga is one, one tool for that. It is, exactly. I just want to make that point. And I, I encourage people to try it and learn the tools because it is the science of consciousness and learn how to get, you know, to identify with your body. Because like, and particularly for a business person, I mean, that's where my intuition is. I mean, I, I run spreadsheets and all that stuff, but I have a gut feeling, you know, about things. And then I try to go back them up. But I usually, I'm pretty much on, but... I have a real sense if I walk in a building, this is going to work. This is, or in an interview with somebody, mm -hmm. this is a match. This isn't a match. And I'm not always right, but it also allows you to tap into your intuition, your body, your gut, uh, that many times we, we haven't really trusted. So, and for your mind, I think it's the first best refuge is your body. If you're, most, I mean, the stress levels before COVID were terrible. After COVID, they're unbelievable. The people are just so stressed and running. And, and mm -hmm. you know, the first best refuge I found is my body. If I can get in my body and my breath and just, it kind of dis, it, it spreads all the busyness in my head on a bigger mass mm -hmm. and is immediately relieving for me. And I that's, just, that's exactly where I was going because in the yoga practice, we start to get so focused on the, that aspect of the body and doing the moves and holding the moves that your brain then opens up. And stops. It stills. Yeah. It, it so, still stops. That, that's the whole purpose of it. Yeah. And, and so yoga is used, ancient yoga was in preparation for meditation and two things. One is they didn't have chairs. So it was to prepare the body so you could sit comfortably. And two was it was preparation and stilling the mind. Because in yoga, if you're properly doing it and you're placing your attention, you know, it can be this simple. I might put my finger back and I'm placing my attention there. Stills the mind. 
and it's a huge technology. Yeah, just can be, and, and it's just I, so much I, easier. I, admit, just I was, I was a, not exactly a fan of wanting to go, and once I started going, I did find fall in love with it. So I have found, you know, during COVID, I write about this in my book. Is like I didn't used to like weightlifting. I had to do it after I hit 50 to keep up. I, I love athletics to keep doing what I was doing. And I was pretty mind. I wasn't, I didn't feel it was mindful. Well, during the pandemic, I lost a trainer, found a new trainer who would say, Hey, slow down more reps. Can you feel that muscle fire? Can you feel that? And, and she put me into my body rather than just pumping out as much adrenaline as I could and lift, you know, it was like, Oh, yeah. wow. It's a different it can, thing. It could, it could be weightlifting. It could be Pilates. It can be, you know, running change for me with mindfulness. I used to go on a run and like just be in my head the whole time. A thought and then, oh, that was good. I hardly knew I was here. And later I learned, no, I missed the whole run. I missed the trees and the birds and the air. I was just in my head. I could have been anywhere. Yeah, I got the exercise, but I missed out on nature. I missed out on the rest of it which mindfulness can bring you like a mindful walk is one of the one of the greatest things you can simply like just at lunch just five minutes with your phone on your desk pick a walk around the building yeah few breaths and it can really be a reset for the afternoon so let's talk about business for a second great so I love often business. business executives managers doesn't matter your level we focus on results you talk about detaching yourself from results. Yeah. Can you kind of expand on that a little bit? Well, you can't be in two places at the same time. Multitasking, we can multitask, but we can't be focused on many things. Mm -hmm. So if my brain is on the result, on the profit, then I can't be present with the people that I'm with. I can't be present with the customers or the employees or any of that. And I'm, I'm, I'm a stickler on profit and on goals and objectives and everything. So how we do it is I set up regular times, which we'll sit down and review the results. Some things are weekly, some things are monthly, some things are quarterly. Go through everything and say, this is what changes we're going to make. I focus on that completely. Then I let that go. And in between those meetings, I focus on the people. I focus on, you know, what I'm, what I'm, I focus on being present right. with people that I'm with. You know, I mean, how, how much do employees have this tell us that we don't hear, that we don't listen? We're so driven. And so, you know, but if I'm if and also profit is not a purpose, it's not. It's the result of a purpose driven organization. You know, if I'm delivering something that people want and I'm effective with it, then profit results. And obviously more profits better than less profit. And if I don't make a profit, I need to get out of business or somebody's going to tell me to get out. Right. So it's not that, it's not that I don't care about it. I do care about it and it's important. And my affluence is important for my influence. But if I just focus on the profit, I can't be present. And being present will improve my results. I'll see more opportunities. I'll be present with people. When somebody has something to tell me, I'm more likely to hear it. And reduces stress, reduces anxiety. Yeah. and makes me a better person to be around period i mean it was a time in my life you know i didn't even know someone else was in the room and i still have that tendency because i run fast you know I'm, a, I'm an achiever 
but I notice it and I go, I apologize. Sorry, I didn't even see you. You know, can I get you something? <laughs> it's just like a just total transformation. And it's just not my, you know, wasn't how I was. And it, so it takes some effort for me, but it's made a huge difference in my life. Right. And when you stop to think about that, that can, that's a great segue to get us into your pillars on leadership. Right. So, you know, I looked, I've looked at your list. And the first one, of course, is to be present and practice mindfulness. We've touched on that. Yeah. The second one, though, is an intriguing one to me. And that is to identify your purpose in life. Help people understand, you know, some people wake up and they know their whole purpose is to be a physician, to save lives and have a powerful impact. Others know it's a ministry from God. Others know that it's to do something else. Yeah. You know, what is your purpose? And baseball players, it's not to play baseball, it's to be able to have an impact, you know, such as people like LeBron James and giving back. So, you know, I, um, I find and I follow Eckhart Tolle on this. I, I really, uh, he, he's where I read and I followed in my book. I followed, I've expanded on it, but he talks about an inner purpose and an outer purpose. Inner purpose is kind of who I am and what I bring to whatever situation. And that's an awakening. I mean, to realize that I have a consciousness, that I'm a body and a, I'm a conscious being in a body and to, and to constantly be awakening to that and realize that I have awareness is to me purpose. That's what makes me human to notice that. And then I have outer purposes, which is what I'm doing. I want to bring presence to whatever I'm doing. And I have found that if I show up with presence, I show up in a very powerful and persuasive way. I'm there. People know I'm there. I know they're there. I know what the task is. I have intention. I have vision. I'm driven. And I really get a lot done. I'm focused. And so if I'm, if I'm not aware of my inner purpose of presence, then I don't even really know when I'm showing up when I'm there and when I'm not there. <laughs> so my best days, right. I go in and out of thought, right? I go in in my head and I drift like a drive by the exit, the business, you know, anybody driven by the exit ramp on the highway. Oh, well, there it goes. Oh, I got to go down on the next one and turn around. Well, I wasn't present, right? That happens all the time, you know, with us. So can I start noticing when I'm there and not there? And presence is where uh, those gaps occur. I talk about living in the gap. It's where one thought stops before another one starts or that inner dialogue that we have talking to us in our head calms down a little bit. It's where peace and joy are. Anxiety and stress are in thought. So if I can start being present, I can start being happier. And presence and happier are synonyms to me. Okay. Th that Bye. is when I'm present i'm happy i'm i'm joyful if i'm if i'm thinking about what i should be doing or what i didn't do or what somebody did to me and i'm in these thoughts that's not happiness yeah. to me yeah, at it's, that point you're letting somebody else control your thoughts exactly and being present is 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 when i'm happiest and then can i bring that to what i'm doing can i bring that first of all most people have some activity they're present for my wife it's painting for me it's snow skiing some people it's fly fishing or woodworking or knitting. Some most people have something that they do when they're present and they're joyful. 
a lot of times we've gone away from it because society hasn't rewarded it. And we've gotten so busy with job, family, responsibilities, boom, boom. Oh, yeah, I remember when I used to fly fish. That was the greatest. I haven't done that in 10 years. Well, we say, let's go find that again. Because if I find that, then my goal, we train professionals, my, and I love to work. My goal is to bring that presence to work. Can I get that feeling that I have in those activities and to be in flow in a work situation where I spend most of my time, eight, 10 hours a day. I love to, you know, a lot of times Saturdays. I mean, can I be happy and present when I'm working? <laughs> if I can, it's not work anymore. Right. You know, it right. isn't like a have to thing. It's like I get to. Right. And sometimes getting on stage or doing the end result is absolutely being present. Absolutely. But yeah. when you're doing the other grunt work to get to that point, you're, how do you, what's the first thing you will tell somebody to do? If they recognize that they're not present, what is something they can do? Because in today's society, I think we've got so many adults and I'm going to use the term adult onset ADD. Mm -hmm. They may not have had the ADD as a child, but now they've got this ADD and the pandemic has intensified that. Yeah. So what's something somebody can do today to start to realize I, I'm not present. This is what I need to do. To start being paying attention to your breath is the, is the number one thing. And that is like, if I close my eyes and just listen to it, maybe the first thing. But the breath is a, is a, it's always there. It's present. It ties my body and the spiritual world and the outside world and everything. It's a tie. If I can follow my breath, I'm present. What's really great about a meditation routine, if somebody's able to do that, is after a while, when I get in a stressful situation, something happens, rather than just reacting, I just notice I'm in my body breathing. And from there, I can handle almost anything. I mean, I don't want to watch what I wish for because I'm not looking for more stress in my life. But from that position, I just have a broader perspective and can deal with things. If I'm, you know, in a small mind and mind like that, and the littlest thing comes up, my mind's like a gnat, and it's just like anything irritates me. But if I can come from that broader perspective and just be in breath and just know, you know, this too shall pass, then I can handle a lot more. Mm -hmm. Let's look at another one of your pillars please. Number 12. Great. The beginner's mind means to know nothing absolutely and to be curious. Yeah. Life's I have the old thing. expression of if you're not learning or you're, if you're not growing, you're dying. Well, life's a great mystery, right? Einstein and how many of just saying, well, life's a great mystery. Look at the, isn't it amazing that here we are in 2023 and there's still arguing, debating consciousness. We don't even really have a full grasp of it. There's not a, there's not a, uh, and it's, it's the basis of life. <laughs> you know, we don't even know we have a life without consciousness. Life is a great mystery. We are wired to think we know, you know, to, for the big things and the little things. And science is great at teaching us how one thing relates to another. But science doesn't tell us where we came from, doesn't tell us why we love, 
doesn't tell us, you know, the base of the source that moves in and all through through all things, but it tells us great things as about how we, one thing relates to another and it's important. Mm -hmm. But there's also a bigger picture that we just don't have any clue about. So it's just residing in that kind of a okay. world and just residing in, you know, how, and the other thing is, I always think I know what's good for somebody else or what they're thinking. And the truth is, I don't. You know, I have a hard enough time figuring out what I'm thinking about something most days. So, I mean, but we think we're in that, you know, and some people are, some people are more clairvoyant than others. And, you know, I don't have that gift, but I, it's just a recognition of, of that we don't know everything, you know, that we, okay. there's things that we don't know. And to acknowledge that is confidence and strength and gives us a broader perspective, curiosity, drops our judgment and gives us a bigger view looking for more possibilities i think the next one is number 10 it's about acceptance means to stop resisting and complaining yeah which that sounds easy in theory not as easy in practice yeah i have people journal about it for a week just you know write down every time you complain you know, but acceptance is huge for awareness. When we don't accept something, our mind is closed around it. You know, it's just not, it's not so. And this, there's, I think, a misconception that acceptance means that you're okay with something. And it doesn't mean that at all. It just means you acknowledge what is. If I accept it, then I can change. Carl Rogers, uh, one of the great uh, psychotherapists said, uh, when I accept things just as they are, then when I accept myself just as I am, then I'm ready to change. Then I can change. You know, if I don't accept myself, then I'm in some form of denial. And it's hard for me to really make real change. My awareness is a little more limited. Once I accept it, my awareness grows. I become more aware of it and the possibilities and when I'm headed down that road, and then I can take actions to make real change. If I, if I don't accept it, then I'm still in some form of denial about it and I'm much less likely to be able to make effective change around it. The, the key is that accepting it doesn't mean I like it or I'm okay with it or that I'm not gonna change, try to change it. It just means I acknowledge it. I'm aware of it. So that brings me to one of the things, I was watching one of your videos uh -huh. and I, I'm gonna butcher the statement the way you said it, but you said, whether it's in business or in life, we can have disagreements, just don't argue. Yeah, we do. We're, disagreements are healthy. Yeah. We don't know. We got to agree and debate and see which, are, which, which debates stand up. Mm -hmm. and, and then how many people think of one way and how many think another and move forward and compromise. Exactly. And that's where we get there. That goes back to your other uh, pillar is being able to accept and be open to it. Yeah. yeah. And to compromise because we're not all going to get our own way. We're just not. Oh, why not? We're just not. <laughs> not, not if we leave the house, you know, exactly. <laughs> maybe not even in the house. Right. right. Exactly. So if we're not willing to compromise, then it's an argument and it's not productive. You know, just see the gridlock that we have. I mean, we're, we're distracted, divisive and gridlocked. And that's arguments one side and, and it's one side trying to beat the other all the time rather than and even if you beat the other side, you got 49% against you, 
You know, that's just no way to run a world. No, no. I think we need to get back to just saying, and business, I think, is the key to it. The business is saying uh, enough. Let's move the needle. Let's just, we don't care left or, I mean, I think bringing ideologies into businesses is a really slippery slope. I want to have all the employment pool that I can. I want to have a full customer base that I can. I want to run a business and make a profit. And that's what I'm there to do. Mm -hmm. And I think once we start, you know, there's been a lot of it happened here in the last 10 years or so people saying, oh, I'm only going to invest in, you know, this belief or that belief. And I just think that I don't run a business that way. I think it's risky. Right. Now, South Africa, they were on the precipice of, uh, precipice, precipice, sorry about that, of civil war, right? during apartheid. And the business community said enough. Figure this out. We want to run a business and get along. We, we want to be able to operate. Yeah. We can't. It doesn't, doesn't work for business. So I, I'm, my hope is, I'm, I'm a dreamer. I'm an optimist. Is a business in the end? I don't know how bad it has to get here. It's going to say enough. We're not finding anybody that's not moving us, you know, within the, within the guardrails down the field. Let's move. We want to make money. And I'll right. take my ideologies to the ballot box and, you know, to the dinner table. Not, not at the business when I have all ideologies, I got all genders, I got all political parties, you know, pulled together for a common cause. What a beautiful situation business is. It's a fantastic. And Part we get of my along. definition of a great team too. We get along. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're mandated to, and we do. And if we bring mindfulness in the workplace, then I bring it home. My spouse gets it. You know, my kids get it. It goes to sports teams. So let, let's bring this back around. Please. When I was talking to somebody the other day, and I knew your interview was coming up, and I'd read some of your materials, I was telling somebody about what we're going to talk about in mindfulness. And they used the phrase, that's just a bunch of foo-foo crap. I say that all the time. Yeah. What do, yeah. You, what do you say to somebody? You're not going to change anybody. You're definitely not going yeah. to change them. So what, so what was it in your brother that you saw that got you kind of engaged into this? I saw that one person changing can change the world. You know, it changed my world, changed my family. That was my whole world. Mm -hmm. One person changing their perspective just de-escalated. De uh, you know, 10, 10 or 15 years of anxiety in a family brought the whole thing together, you know, and, and just further, you know, you know, I use the word you use, uh, foo -foo, I use woo-woo, you know, business people tell me all the time, well, it's, it's just woo-woo, it's too slow and soft for business, and I say, no, woo-woo is the current state of the world, distracted, divisive, gridlocked, you know, mindfulness is the ability to focus and be happy and get, and achieve my objectives. Be focused. There's nothing contrary or woo-woo about focus. In a business context, I mean, mindfulness is the ability to focus. You know, get the phones out of the room. Don't be on your don't be on your laptop and in a meeting at the same time or on your smartphone. Mm -hmm. That's mindfulness. It's not like holding hands and singing kumbaya. It is if you want to be, but it doesn't have to be. Right, right. You know, it's focus and, and being aware and 
and uh so i think they're wrong i think they're wrong about it and uh but as you say you won't change everybody if i came to you and said oh that's just a bunch of woo woo what are you going to tell me well i wouldn't argue with you i would probably keep moving (laughs) i would just say that's not my experience what is it it's you know uh, it is i think henry ford said well you think you can i think you're right you can't you're right yeah, I mean, yeah. but I, I don't, I mean, I'm not, if someone is that locked in, mm-hmm. then, you know, probably a conversation with me is not going to, going to change them. Now, if they came to me, I mean, the greatest thing is when someone comes to you and says, geez, you know, where did you get that smile? We're losing money. Why doesn't it bother you? <laughs> you know, yeah. that was a bad thing. Why, why are you still okay? You know, I'd say, I mean, that's kind of what happened to me. Mindfulness. That's what happened to me. Oh, gosh, I guess it was over 40 years ago. I had gone to a seminar. I got a free ticket to go see a seminar with a sales professional named Tom Hopkins. Uh-huh. And I and I used the term. That's just a bunch of foo foo. And I went and watched him. And my life was changed like that. Oh, awesome. Because he got me into understanding things. And then, of course, I love Zig Ziglar, who says, well, if you took a shower today, that's great. Why did you? Because the one yesterday wore off? Because motivation and mindfulness has to be done something every day. You got to constantly be dipping in the inkwell. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we've been, I say we, we've been taking our whole life to be not present. It's going to take a little work to be present, mm-hmm. you know, to work on that. But I don't know. I I focus on the yeses, not on the negative, you know. I focus, mm-hmm. there's enough people out there that are interested and want to change their life and find a different way to operate. It's just amazing to me the amount of successful pro- professionals that aren't happy. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. stressed. They, they're just on a treadmill of let's get the next house. Let's, you know, we got to go on this dream vacation. And they got everything in a little mindset shift. Boom, shows them, man, my kids don't necessarily have to go there. What they want really is my time. You know, maybe I'll go coach their softball team or what, you know, what it is, and yep. it, boom, their whole world changes yeah. that they realize that they are walls that people need is their attention. It isn't all the things that we think are going to make us happy. Yeah. It's the connections and the relationships and the presence with other people. Right. And there, there's number seven in your list about fostering the relationships with your word and being able to listen and be in tune and being, i am use your word here, present in every conversation well not about every conversation that's a stretch for me it would be but for some in many, convers- many of our conversations <laughs> my so wife, as we get my wife to- would knock the door down and say well you weren't present with me last night anyway <laughs> <laughs> i try but i mean our our ordinary state is getting ready for what we're gonna say judging stereotyping i already know type of things and the people we're closest with us were the biggest we're the biggest uh, offenders of because in my experience, we already think we know what they're going to say. So why bother listening to them? Yeah, you know, that's, so that's a trap. I think yeah. every single one of us have fallen into at some time or another. If you can find a way and, and I'll say a home example, but in business, it's it's critical. If you can find a way you get home at night to really listen. Your home life will change. You know, when you walk in the door, if it's not just woe is me, give me a beer. You know, kick the dog, <laughs> give me the remote. If you can find a way to take a pause a little bit, 
and listen to what went on with the other person's day, not fix it, but just listen, things change. And what about an employee or, you know, I'm a real estate developer and we, you know, it takes months to get people around the table to, to have a meeting. If I can listen and make sure I know what every person said, I just, you know, it, it's a great meeting. But if I let that go, it's two months before I get them back together again. And I have to be able to listen and hear people, not just what I want to hear, but what did they really say? What did you, is that what you said? You know, and really, really get flat with it. Is that what you said? And is that, is that what you meant? Yeah. I'm sure there's clarity. Yeah. That's one of the it, things I love about podcasts is that I go back and I probably re-listen to every single podcast from a listener's point a week or two after it airs. Uh, because great. I want to go back and listen to it now because I'm, I'm as present as I can be through the process we're in. I will get more out of this in two weeks than I probably did today. Awesome. That's, that's, that's a great, kind of that's a great That's a great practice. So here's a question for you as we get ready to wrap up because we've already been here for about 38 minutes. Sure. Your book is coming out in a couple of weeks. March okay. 7th. Early March. Yep, it's coming out. It's called Profit with Presence. Now that's P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, not P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. So yeah. let's <laughs> tell us just a quick dialogue of about the book. Yeah, it starts with a, a conceptual framework of, of the latest theories of consciousness the procession effect, you know, it's in that it's a non-secular, I mean, it's a secular book. It's not about any particular dogma. It's, it's just about some lessons. And then the 12 pillars, which are, which is really a manual for living. Okay. How can you, how can you live a life? Uh, and it's not, it's not just business or just home. It's everything, right. You know, it's, it's a, where you can live your life in both places. And then I take it into what is a mindful corporation What's a mindful CEO and how do you foster mindfulness in a corporation if, if that's what you want to do? Because I think the real opportunity for us here in the capitalist society, nobody has the time for mindfulness. They think it doesn't take as long as they think, but and everyone's stressed at work. So what a great opportunity to practice mindfulness at work, use it to focus, to make a difference in communities, to start volunteering. Those kind of things can just be a huge, huge win. And I end with a new conceptual worldview, just in kind of my view of how things could change. And what I see is a way out of this kind of what I call a kind of a mess that we're in worldwide. Mm -hmm. So it's hopeful and hopeful, a hopeful uh, new conceptual worldview that I paint. And it's business. I, I love business. I think business is going to lead us out of this in the end. I just hope they don't wait till it gets too bad. I hope the leaders come together and say, yeah, let's, let's, let's fix this. Yeah. As we get ready to wrap up, I'm going to challenge folks here. First off, if they need to reach you, what's the best way to reach and reach out to you? Obviously they can go pre-order the book um, yeah. now through all the regular sources, but what's one of the best ways they can reach you if they want to learn more about what you do? Yeah. The website living in the livinginthegap.org. It's a 501c3 nonprofit. All of our programs are there. There's free resources. If you want to learn a little more about this, you know, how to meditate, there's a free 21-day mindfulness series, 10 minutes a day, delivered to your mailbox. There's a book, list of books in addition to the Profit with Presence that could get you started. 
those kind of any any of our workshops are there. There's a newsletter that we publish monthly. Okay. All that stuff's there, and you can reach out if you want to reach out. Just just send a note in to us, and we'll contact you. Okay. So that's living in the gap org. Exactly. Okay. I want to make sure we spell that all the way out there because first time I went to it, I went living the gap. I just missed the word in. Ah. <laughs> I want to challenge everybody right now. If you're, if you're still listening right now at the end of our podcast, I want to challenge everybody. Stop the podcast. Do two minutes of deep breathing. Focusing in on it, just sitting in your car. Pull over, please. And just breathe. And tell me if you don't feel different. Tell me if you don't feel different. Do that every day. Is that a good start? Awesome. And if you, and if you, if you want for that, close your eyes and just listen to your breathing. That's a great way to start. Just hear it. Yeah. for a minute and then let that go that's an awesome way to start and two minutes is is all it takes to get started you'll feel like more later i appreciate your time love to have you back on again down the awesome. road talk love about to. this again a little bit further and see how things have changed and go for it folks if you like what we're talking about here on our podcast be sure to hit the like buttons uh subscribe to us share it with your friends we've been downloaded now in 79 countries around the world we were over 100 episodes in and we're getting stronger every single day. Dr. Holsapple spoke with us today about mindfulness and how that can help us build our internal team to help our external teams grow, whether in home or in business. It does not matter. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, we know that you're not average. So when you leave here today, remember, make today an excellent and exceptional day. Till next week, take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit TeamsRock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on The Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.